This is CliffCentral.com. You're listening to The Bounce Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on CliffCentral.com. Welcome to it, The Bounce Show, 8th of February. Alright, the Proteas have pretty much lost it. They've completely lost it against India. They're 3-0 down after 3. It's a pretty lifeless performance. We've got the Pyeongchang Winter Olympics 2018 in South Korea. I'm going to give you an update about that because Saturday, Saturday it's beginning. Uh, then World Long Drive Champion Joe Miller. I got to hang out with him on Monday. So I got some audio as promised to you last week. So we're going to have a little bit of a golfing long drive feature today. And then we've got Champions League to look out for next week. Yep, the last 16. Really exciting time of the Champions League because we get to the knockout stages. And, uh, well, that's what everyone looks, looks for. It is obviously the best of the best, the Champions League. All we really, really want to see. The league actions are really cool, but I mean, I mean, Barcelona's won La Liga. Bundesliga is not a thing because Bayern always win it. Man City are so far ahead in the English league. And as for the other leagues, well, there's PSG winning the French one. So Champions League is where all the eyes gravitate towards. So we're going to discuss that too. Pretty action-packed show. If you want to get involved, just tweet me at follow the bounce. Otherwise, if you are listening live on Cliff Central itself here, cliffcentral.com, then 0797482090. That is your WhatsApp line for this. All right. Chemical Brothers, the boxer in the background. Remember how big these dudes were? Then again, if you were partying hard in the 90s, sort of turn of the century, then yeah, this, this was your jam. So let's get into it. Uh, World Long Drive. I don't know how much you know about it. It's the Long Drive World Series. It's, uh, well, it's taking place around the world. It's a growing concern, and it's a really, really fantastic sport when you think What's the best part about golf? What is the best feature around golf? What is everything everybody gravitates towards? It's hitting it long. As much as putting is like the important thing, and obviously having a long, uh, short game that's going to score you, uh, you know, pars and birdies, all that kind of stuff. Everybody wants to beat the long ball, and there's no one better, literally, pound for pound, that is Joe Miller. He's got the crowd behind him, and he's going to put a little show on right here. I don't know if this Callaway driver can take it right here, the punishment. Two seventeen. And that club head speed nearing 150. That apex obviously a little bit higher. Look where this carry stands. Almost carried 420. They lost some yardage with the Wiesock. Good mistake. <laughs> they ran out of paint back there, boys. Yeah, you heard right. Carried 420. So Joe's a two-time world champion. He carried the golf ball 420 yards. No, he's not in Mexico City. Uh, this is him. This is what he does. He hits the ball ridiculously long distances. So on Monday, I got to literally hang out with him. He was at uh, Copper Leaf. So the quantum driving guys, they are the local sort of federation for long drive. They invited me to come along. They brought Joe out for some publicity around the April um, event, which I'll get into in a second. 
But just watching Joe, he is like, he's an absolute superstar of world long drive. So, you know, I think it's a very niche sport. Who is this guy? But he's an absolutely incredible athlete. I know I kind of running out of adjectives to describe this dude, but he murders the golf ball. And he's not just a guy who's swinging as hard as he can, or he's just some big muscular guy. He's a proper golfer too. So I managed to get some time with him on the range. And uh, yeah, I also chatted to his manager, a really, really cool guy called George Gross. And then I tried to chat to Howard Kutzia from Quantum Driving itself. So start off with Joe. Sorry, I think we've still got Joe in the background punishing golf balls. One of the greatest golfing movies or sporting movies is Happy Gilmore. Now, Happy is an ice hockey player. He's chilling at the range and then one day decides to give golf a go. And he hits the ball an absolute mile. What was your sporting background before you became Joe Miller, the big golfer? I was a hockey background. <laughs> uh, what was my sporting background? As a kid, I've pretty much done everything. Um, you know, back home, football, rugby, uh, even basketball, anything athletic, anything that was quick, you know, 100 meter sprint, any type of throwing event. But, you know, for me, golf was always, I mean, I started golf young. It always stayed throughout the, you know, growing up. And, uh, yes, yeah, you know, to this day, it's obviously the main one that stuck with me. So now, as a long drive player as opposed to a golfer, you are very much more athlete-based. So when you look at tournaments, you look at physical conditioning and stuff, rather than, say, when golfers look at courses, they look at how they're going to prime their games for it. How how different, or what's the ratio as far as getting your body in tune and as far as actually just hitting balls when it comes to big tournaments? Yeah, I mean, we, we do a little bit of the, you know, like you said, with the golfers, you know, looking at the course, wondering how they're going to play it. I mean, we do sl- some variation of that because we're subject to conditions, for one. Uh, but really, I mean, it is all about getting, you know, getting yourself uh, maximum speed, making sure you're swinging the club most efficiently as possible, uh, and obviously, you know, getting the ball speed off the club speed is, is the is the hard part. You know, you don't need to be hitting the middle of the face, obviously. So that's where, you know, the the hard practice comes in. Um, so for me, it's, it's almost a 50, 50, uh, 50 thing. I'm in the gym and I'm, I want to get the speed and the power, but at the same time, I'm on the range for, you know, two or three hours a day obviously trying to work that and make sure it is as efficient as possible uh, just watching your swing earlier was quite something I then tried to do it couldn't come close hurt my back a bit <laughs> but uh, how how different is your swing been as far as have you had much coaching to get it to the point where you're constantly looking to get to club bed speed has that been quite a difficult process or is it literally been about just trying harder all the time and just swinging harder it's a little bit of both really I mean yes I've had a I mean I've had a coach called Lee Cox back home um, and I've had him for uh, give or take 16 years now 15, 16 years I've been working with Lee and it, and it's, it's been a steady and a slow process obviously both of us because long drive back then wasn't um, you know it wasn't a thing when I first started it it was it was just a, you know who could hit the ball the furthest but this was more of an American sport so no one really knew in terms of how, how to teach for long drive there was a few bits and pieces but no one really knew the real science behind it um even to this day I, I, you know people still kind of guess it a little bit so yes i've had lessons all the way through uh, that that is like i said that's probably 50% of it and then the other 50% is me you know sometimes on the driving range by myself for hours just you know hitting balls after balls making sure i'm getting my numbers right on on a flight scope in terms of you know is working on sort of techniques like does that add speed and with something like a flight scope that's where you can find out whether it does or not so you know tr- trial and error and eventually trying to just whittle it down to what works and what doesn't and as far as a workout program goes, is this something you have a coach for as well? Is it something you're always looking to find new ways of more flexibility? Like, again, it's like, it's always, it seems like a balance to me. How do you balance the strength and the flexibility? Is it an ongoing thing you're always looking for? 
I mean, uh, to answer the first part is no, I don't have a coach in terms of the, the gym part. That's always been self-taught. Um, I used to be a personal trainer. I used to work in a gym uh, since I left school. Um, so I've done that for five or six years in the gym environment. Um, and as opposed to finding the flexibility, I, it's more of a um, individual thing. You know, if you are unflexible, then obviously work on your flexibility. If you haven't got the strength or the power, then you work on that. So for me, I've always kind of worked a little bit on both. Uh, but luckily enough, and the way I found it is obviously if I spend two or three hours a day on the on the on the driving range hitting balls, your flexibility will come anyway. Uh, you know, you're you're going to be fit for what you train for, and obviously, like I say, spending that amount of time hitting that many golf balls, you kind of find your flexibility in a way uh, that you can't do in a gym or at home if you want to have a stretch. So. I keep the, the, you know, in terms of the gym work, I keep the gym work all about strength and power and then anything sort of flexibility and mobility stuff I tend to do on the range um, when the weather's good anyway, <laughs> like it is now here in uh, in sunny South Africa, but obviously back home we, get, we struggle with that a little bit. But, you know, like I say, separate the two and work on one thing at a time. Uh, I, I follow a lot of you guys on Instagram and the videos, like, you guys are up in the game all the time. It's gym time, it's range time. Is there quite a bit of trash talk amongst you guys going into the big events? Because it looks hugely competitive. Yeah, there, there's, some, there's a little bit of trash talk, but we still you know, we still sort of uh, not follow the rules of golf, but, you know, the, the, the golfing etiquette as it is, uh, there's a little bit of that. But at the same time, you know, if we, you know we're all good friends. We all like to, uh, you know, to give each other, you know, stick as it is. Um, but it's, it's almost a done thing now, you know. If you if, if you didn't do it and you didn't film it and you didn't put it on Instagram, then it never happened. So, so <laughs> that's what I do. As soon as I hit a number, bang, film it. Look at that. Yeah, look, I achieved it. Uh, it's on Instagram, so you can't deny it. But you know, it's, it's part of the culture now a little bit. You know, and, and it's how um, you know it's how we've managed to grow the sport to where it's going and where where we've got it and where it's going. You know, getting on. You know, if I post a video on Instagram, it goes out to you know a hundred thousand views. That, before 10 years ago or even as much as five years ago that was impossible to do you know you'd really need to be prime time television to get them sort of numbers so it's, it's almost kind of you kind of have to do it now do you ever get pro golfers kind of on the range who want to just like get up close to you and just see the big difference or do they all know their place when it comes to hitting it long <laughs> they do know their place but at the same time they do like it. it is uh you know i've done a lot of exhibitions over the years obviously that's, that's sort of the corporate days and the like i say the exhibition for sponsors and stuff like that where you will get you know you'll be i'm a callaway guy so i'll be amongst the, the callaway staff guys and the tour players and stuff like that and you know that they respect it as much as any probably more so than the general public would because one they know how to how hard it is to get the ball going that sort of distance and to keep it and two to keep it straight at that sort of distance so you know they'll come over they'll have a look and what you're starting to find now is your where you know back then it wasn't looked at so much what you've seen is a bit of a crossover now where the top guys on tour you Dustin Johnson's Bubba Watson's Roy McIlroy's and stuff like that you know they all have long drive moves that they might not have necessarily had when they first started golf you know they're, they're looking at the technique they're looking at the way we turn and, and certain things that we do uh, and it's a kind of that crossover part where and and it's obviously proven working obviously Dustin Johnson probably being the longest at the tour at the moment uh, is world number one as is you know as was Rory McIlroy Tiger Woods in his heyday you know these guys were the the big hitters so it's not just a uh, a pointless exercise this is actually make you know they're they're shooting lower scores because of I'm not saying it's due to the long drive but due to the fact that these guys are searching for more distance all the time all right, Joe. Well, I wish you all the best for the World Series coming up. And I've got a dream that if golf's going to be taken seriously at the Olympics, it's got to take world 
long drive on the one side, the pro guys on the other side. I think it's a match made in heaven. It's a great spectator sport. It is. It's, it's amazing, and it's, it, to me, it's unbelievable how it hasn't been done in the past or mentioned in the past, especially or even mentioned now and a, and a bit more. You know, how good would that be to see long drive in the Olympics? It'd be amazing. So, you know, who knows? Let's let's hope it comes before I have to retire and take up short game. Um, because that's terrible but <laughs> no you know what it would be a great thing to see well in Pyeongchang they've just got mixed curling I'm pretty sure we can make this happen uh, sure I'm not, I'm not one to doubt any sport or to, to you know to put down any sportsmen or sports stars but uh, you know I, I'd say long drive would hold a greater spectacle than some of the uh, other sports shall we say I said it judo thanks Joe <laughs> thanks a lot what a tremendous asset to have a guy like that in your sport, like just so knowledgeable, so passionate about what he's doing. So I then chatted to his agent. So George Gross is a internationally renowned sports agent and he represents people from across many, many sporting codes. So it's interesting to think because the sport is kind of niche, like, you know, what are the things that's going to progress it? What are the big sort of stumbling blocks they're currently experiencing and how they're going to get to the stage where it does become more of a mainstream success? George, we're here with, with Joe today. Obviously, he's he draws quite a crowd wherever he goes, I can imagine. So I was going to say at the stage, the sound quality is not that great. I'm, like, I'm literally out of driving range. The wind was pretty strong, but anyway, yeah, carry on. And what he does with that golf ball, nobody can can kind of comprehend it from an ordinary golfing standing. You, of course, though, have represented golfers around the world, uh, different sort of sports stars. Excellence is nothing new to you. But just how exceptional is Joe in the greater scheme of the, of the long drive game? In the long drive game, I think his uh, history and his results sort of show the the uh, position that he's put himself in. But he's actually well liked not only by other golfers um, but also sports people in general because he can achieve something that nobody else can. But also, he shows the journey to get to that point. So everyone's intrigued. Uh, everyone sees what he does. He's very visible. So from a media point of view, they all want to know the tricks of the trade, um, which we give, um, because not everyone, even if they know the information, can convert it into what Joe does. So with the game of long drive, obviously we know there's the European Tour, the PGA Tour, Sunshine Tour in South Africa. The game, the professional game is actually really, really healthy in my opinion. People are always saying golf is dying on amateur levels, which is debatable. Long drive though, where do you see it fitting in long term wise as far as an, like a global event? I think uh, professional golf or golf in general has been perceived as quite elitist. Uh, it's expensive. Uh, to buy all the equipment, to be a member of a golf club uh, and to have all the latest gear because it changes so frequently by the manufacturers. Uh, Long drive is uh, a different because you don't have to be a great golfer for it. Joe Miller is a good golfer, um, but also he's a long driver. Well, he's a golfer that became a good long driver and now he's a long driver that still is a good golfer. Uh, But long drive is fun and that's what we want to put across. It's entertainment Uh, and there's a serious part to it, of course, in the competition, but uh, we want to put that message out that you don't have to uh, have that huge investment into the big scale elitist golf in inverted commas um, for our listeners uh, but also from a long drive point of view it's just you know getting up there having fun enjoying it hitting the ball a long way uh, and uh, hopefully achieve some results for it being a man obviously of different sporting backgrounds is there a certain sporting model that you're looking at maybe in saying maybe long drive can emulate that in order to get more global success I think when you are at the pinnacle of your own sport, you get natural attention anyway. And so obviously, you know, I've worked in, uh, you know, every professional sport you can think of at the highest levels. Uh, long drive was new to me and it was pretty unknown to me. And I was working in professional golf for 15, 20 years. So when I met Joe back in 2011, after he just won the 2010 World Championship, it was like, you know, we wanted to break down some barriers. Uh, it was popular in America. 
and that was it people did it around the world but no one knew about it and so we've obviously been uh, breaking those walls down breaking those barriers down to make it more mainstream and so everyone's taking note of it now it's been a great journey for the last seven years and we're intrigued where it's going to go for the next 10 to 15 well april in south africa is a world long drive series event now if i were to ask joe this question he'd probably say nobody but who are his biggest competitors for this year that you're looking out at nobody fair enough it's, it, it, seriously, it's you know Joe when he is at the top of his game, which he has you know over the winter, it's difficult in England to maintain speed, to maintain athleticism. He often takes that period off. I think as an athlete, you need to give your body a bit of a break. Uh, he hasn't because he wanted to hit the ground running in Dubai and obviously then build up to the following events. And obviously, we're moving to South Africa in April. Uh, you know there are some big names up there that have achieved great things in the game uh, when Joey's on his game uh, maxing it out uh, he, he is hard to beat but he has been beaten before you know he's not going to win every single event um, you know Emil Rosberg beat him in London on the Long Drive World Series last year uh, Joe wasn't evidently on his game uh, Joe uh, Emil was on his game and, and that just shows you if, you if you've got two people on the top of their game Joe's going to be probably coming out on top so, in real golfing terms, think of Joe Miller like Rory McIlroy. When McIlroy is good, no one can beat him. Joe's, in, in my mind, he's like that kind of guy. Also, when you get into range and he's hitting balls the way he hits them, you're going to feel slightly intimidated. So, um, the sort of driving force behind this is a company called Quantum Driving. So, for a few years now, um, actually quite a while, they've been sort of pioneering the South African long drive game. And they've got, obviously, South African champions. Um, they've got a variety of events that take place across the country. So a guy called Keller could see us being the driving force behind this. Really fantastic guy. Just a good sports guy through and through. Loves golf and just loves connecting people around such an amazing sport. Now, when I say such an amazing sport is that there's real opportunities here. George just touched on the fact that your barriers to entry are really small. Now, when you think about getting into golf, you're going to have uh, obviously 14 clubs. Uh, probably join a golf club. Um, there's a variety of things. obviously quite costly. And, of course, there's the whole time thing. But when you're just hitting the long ball... That's just one element, and it definitely is an element of golf. And the thing is, like all the guys who do long drive, they all love golf. They never got into long drive because of other reasons. They love golf, and this is just an element of it. So I chatted to Harold about the local game, and of course, well, you know what was the theory behind getting Joe out here and the progression of the game locally. So you're the man that responsible for bringing Joe Miller to the country for this World Winter, where everyone is gobsmacked by how hard this guy hits the ball. What's the um, what's the plan behind this? The plan behind is pretty much to create an awareness of the sport of long drive globally and specifically in South Africa because I personally believe that we have loads of talent that deserve to be recognized on the international state, um, stage and I thought that with us hosting the World Series in April that this is the ideal time for the South African public to get behind them, see the caliber of athletes that's coming to South Africa but also to take notice of the talent that we have locally. Now, when you say local talent, are there any kind of events that we can go watch prior to the big guys coming through? Yeah, absolutely. We pretty much have events throughout the year, pretty much on a monthly basis. We're standing here at Copper Leaf today. That's pretty much our home for long drive here in Gauteng. And our next event here will be the 24th of February. So for anybody that wants to know about how to get involved in the sport of long drive, get us on our website, or more importantly, we're all big on social media, so find Quantum Driving on Facebook, or Quantum Driving's our Twitter handle, and um, we'll assist you and get you guys in the game. Now, of course, all eyes are going to be on Joe when he comes back here in April. Who are the kind of South African contenders that he should be worried about? Because, well, you know, he's, he's very cocky. Look at him. Everyone's giving a lot of attention this week. Who are the ESSA boys that are looking to challenge him? 
Well, you know, we do that on purpose, you know, blow the guys up and then cut them down to size. Um, no, look, Joe's a superb athlete and a great human being and a great ambassador for the sport. So he's going to be really up there. But our local champion here, Mr. Jason Cook, who's our current 2017 quantum driving SA champion, he's automatically through into the final field of 16 hitters. So he'll be facing it off with the rest of the world's best. And then, believe you me, we have at least five hitters that could potentially knock out some internationals on the final day of qualifying. So I'm hoping to see at least two or three South African boys in the final field of 16. And personally, I'll be quite surprised if we don't have at least one in a quarter final. Cool. Thanks very much. Uh, this weekend, the, the Long Drive World Series is in Dubai. So if you find LW, sorry, LDWS on Instagram, Twitter, look out for these guys and you'll see what these events are all about. But the big one, the big Long Drive World Series event will be taking place Sun City, South Africa, 13th of April. So if you are in the Gauteng area, of course, Sun City is a well-known spot. 13th of April, you get to see Joe Miller and the rest of the world's best long drivers and the best in South African long drive all slugging it out. And um, if you need any more info, sorry, I'll get in touch with the guys, Matt at quantumdriving.com. Really cool guy. And it's been really great spending the last few days with these guys. I mean, it's a, it's a cool sport. I love golf. I love hitting the long ball. I love pounding it or at least trying to hit the long ball. So this is an event that I'm definitely going to watch closely um, in future. And, you know, if nothing else, it's just another reason to enjoy the great game of golf. It really is. From one very positive story, which I feel is the long drive game, to the Proteas. Yep, they're 3-0 down after three against India. They're getting, I mean, I don't know how you how to put this nicely. They're, they're just getting an absolute dicking from these guys. The test series was looking great in the beginning, and then they lost at the Wanderers, and everyone thought, well, well the series is already done and dusted. It's now onto the ODIs. South Africa are the number one team, number one ranked team in the world ODI standings. India are number two. It's a match made in heaven, but it's been men versus boys, men who know how to bat, men who know how to ball spin, and boys who don't seem to know anything, really, at the moment. I know there's been major injuries. Obviously, you take away Abe Davides, take away Fatu the Sea, take away Quinton de Kock. And, uh, well, you're taking away some big players. I mean, just imagine if you were to go into the Indian side and take away the likes of Shukha Darwin, Virat Kohli, um, interesting Dhoni. wouldn't quite be the same. However, I think that would still be better because at least these guys have spinners. So what's to made of the situation? Well, JP Dimini, to his credit, played bloody well yesterday at Newlands. He top scored and he took two wickets. Here are his thoughts after just another thrashing, absolute thrashing at the hands of the Indians. There's no doubt that we'll reconvene after this game and, and sort of break down where, where we're going wrong. I, I think it's pretty obvious that, unfortunately, we, we just haven't played their spinners well enough. Um, you know, I heard a stat that they've taken 22 out of the 30 wickets, so you know, that's something that we're definitely going to have to look at and, and see how we can be better. Uh, the seed is not lost yet, and I think that's that's got to be a big enough motivator for us to, to come back and and try and uh, revive the series for us. What they've done really well is they've, they've assessed the conditions in terms of what they need to do, uh, what sort of speed and length they need to bowl. They haven't made it easy for us to get ones. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of us have not picked the, the googlies. Uh, and I think that, that, that's what it's come down to. We've, we've not been good enough in understanding our... Yes, we have game plans, but unfortunately they've bowled well enough not to give us the balls to play in our game plan. Uh, and we've got to come up with different ways of, of countering how good they've been. Uh, you know, you've got to put your hand up and say they've just been, they've been too good for us. They've outplayed us in all departments. 
you know, just looking at Virat's innings today, the way he paced it, uh, wasn't batting at a 100 strike rate today, but picked it up at the end. And unfortunately, we've spoken a lot about, from our batting perspective, how, how crucial partnerships are. And unfortunately, we just haven't had the opportunity to, to put together partnerships with the bat. Uh, I mean, the only standout performance has been Fuff's 120 in the first game. And as a batting, as a batting unit, we've got to make sure that we, we're better than that. Uh, we've got to take it on the chin and, say, and take responsibility for it and, and know that we're better than that. Look, India's always been a good chasing side. So we went with a different strategy today in terms of putting them in. Uh, and hopefully we can, can counter them that way. But unfortunately, it didn't work out today. Look, when you, when you lose games, your strategies and plans and the way you go about it always looks a bit silly at times. Uh, but again, we've got to take responsibility for it. And, and I guess the way forward is identify our strengths and try and play you know, to the best of our ability to our strengths. Look, I mean, he's up there with the world's best. Uh, you know, you, you have to take your opportunities when, the, when it comes, specifically in, in his first sort of 20 balls. Talking about Virat Kohli, of course, yeah. Balls. Uh, we've created chances, but unfortunately we haven't, you know, haven't got, haven't got it to, stuck, to stick. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's in really good form at the moment. I mean, he's has a, had an unbelievable year. Uh, and you've seen he's just carried on and, and he oozes confidence. So... We're going to have to come up with, with different plans and, and ways of, of getting through to him. Uh, look, we've, we've managed to, to pick up one or two early wickets, but unfortunately we haven't been able to, to carry it forward. Uh, so, again, we're going to have to reflect, see how we can be better. Again, like I said, we're not out of the series, so we're going to have to go into the next three games with, with confidence. Yeah, we're certainly looking forward to that game and obviously the, the reasons why we play the game. Look, having AB back is obviously going to be a massive boost for us. Uh, one of the world's best players in one-day cricket. Uh, so yes, he will, he will bring confidence to the team and no doubt his leadership within the group will, will add a lot of value as well. So all eyes now go on to Saturday, which is the 10th of February. So that is the pink ODI at the Wanderers. Uh, historically, the Proteas always win this one. They always have a good team. Uh, the games are always very entertaining. And as JP Dumi mentioned there, AB de Villiers. Now, if AB de Villiers is back, then there's obviously a different dynamic to this team. Mostly because, I mean, his amazing exploits aside on the field of play, the moment this guy's in the team, I think that the opposition are already on, you know, on lookout for what to do differently in order to counteract his abilities. Now, especially an Indian team, which obviously has huge respects for AB, like anyone does. It will change the dynamic. Will it make the team stronger, though? There's just so many holes in this team, unfortunately. So like I was saying before the JP Dumini interview there, is that the next layer of, of, uh, of cricket that's, of cricket talent that comes into this team, you know, it's the guys who are need to come up now and like obviously replace the likes of Faf and AB and Quinton de Kock. Who are they? Where they come from? What kind of experience have they got? Because domestic cricket, and I know this has been a hot potato people have thrown around for quite some time now. But because the standard domestic cricket, let's be honest, I mean, we, we can't get away from the facts in this one. No matter where you stand on your thoughts on transformation, pro, against, whatever it is. I mean, I've always said, I've made it perfectly clear, my stance in the show, transformation is exactly how we're going to get all the talent in this country to come to the fore and ultimately make things stronger. That is, I think, the core consideration of what transformation should be. Unfortunately, through to, I think, lazy administration, it's become more of a window dressing thing. And, you know, yesterday, obviously, I made a big thing about the fact that in varsity, in varsity cricket, a team, well, teams basically are playing with 10 men because they don't have enough black players who are fit and can play. 
So rather than selecting a white player, they have to just play with 10 men. Now, apart from that being a spe- against the spirit of cricket, it's counterproductive for everybody. No one's winning here. You're getting one-sided matches. So the players you're looking to develop are not getting a chance to develop. So you're actually harming the people you're meant to be helping here. So that's absolute bullshit. And there's no doubt about it that the domestic level of play in South Africa is is waning, and it has been for a couple of years now. You can't have a guy like Kaizondo, who should be a success story. He should be the future. He should be the next rock in the middle order. He's coming in here, and he's looking like an absolute fish out of water. I know I've always made jokes about Fayon Bairdin in the past, and I look at him like this cult figure because, you know, I, I take sport. Even though I do have some very serious topics in this show, I'm more about the fun side of things. But there's a guy who was so good domestically for so long, but he never managed to like really, you know, set um, the international stage alight because it's a whole different game. So you got a guy like, um, you know, Klaasens came in yesterday, the wicketkeeper, came out to bat, and he's never come close to seeing spin bowling that he saw at Newlands yesterday. He ended up scoring six. David Miller as well. Here's a guy who has achieved great things at the international stage. Quickest uh, T20 in the world. He had that beautiful 100 against the Aussies. The guy's proven, but where's the consistency? Because when he goes back to domestic cricket, he's either not being tested or he's formal and take a dip. These levels are really hurting the game because when you look at the best pro-tier stars, all they do is play international cricket. So if those guys are fit and healthy, they can keep playing. They're staying at a certain level. And the pro-tiers have been really fortunate with this over the years. But the moment those guys fall away, that next level of talent is so, so, so far away from where it should be. And this is where we're getting these, what could actually be a whitewash series against the Indians. There's nothing suggesting, or nothing suggests the next three matches anything's going to change. The Indians are superior in every single aspect of play. And I'm talking batting, I'm talking seam bowling, spin bowling, uh, death bowling, whatever it is. They are simply head and shoulders above the rest. Fiat Kohli, yesterday's innings at Newlands was a prime example of why he is, and I'm going to put it out there. There's him and Steve Smith. Vyot Kohli, of course, is pretty handy in both formats of the game. I know people say his, his away record is not, not too flash. But look at the way that guy goes about batting, where he constructs the innings. All he wants to do is he wants to just nudge it around, and he wants to escalate the runs. So yesterday, I mean, I, I made an example of how easy it is to make money off Vyot Kohli right now. When he starts out, you can bet on uh, basically runs. So the first thing will go out, you know, high or low on Virat Kohli on 42, which is ridiculously high to think that you know, you only make money if this guy makes more than 42. But he's averaging like 50. So anyway, you put on that. And you keep basically putting money on high on Virat Kohli. Yesterday, he scored 160. I started off with a little speculative 300 rand, and I was making little 100 rand bets here and there. I think I made 640. Gambling is not for kids. Gamble with your head, not your heart. Anyway, but it's just an example of how this guy is so dependable because he escalates the whole thing. He keeps the pressure up and he creates platforms for his team. Do the protests have a batsman that can do that now? I mean, Abi Davidis is a fantastic talent on his day and you can literally, literally wipe a team away. But Hashim Amna's not doing that. He's not getting the, the team going forward. We don't know who else is going to be in the middle order. Everyone expects the world of young Markram at the moment from captaining to being the opening batsman to doing everything. I don't see any of these positive attributes the Indians are showing right now reflected in the Proteus team, and that's got to be said because the depth is just horseshit. There's no other way to describe it. There's people coming through to full roles, but we don't know who they are, really. What are the chances of them filling a role? Lungi Ngidi, yesterday, he bowled like five overs for 60 or whatever it was. I mean, JP Dumini had to finish his overs for him. 
there's just so many glaring holes in our talent. And I'm sure Lugu Gedi played well in the test matches. The guy's young. He's still got a lot to learn. But there's just this, this massive gulf between like the really good and the next level. And it is worrying. And I know it's got to do with the fact that domestically, we're just not being progressive enough. I don't think transformation's there. That's the reality. We're not moving away from that. And like I said many times, I'm fine with that. Let's get the talent in. Let's progress it because we all need to work to this together. But there's got to be common sense prevailing. We can't have 10 men versus 11 men at lower levels because that all just seeps up to the top. And then we've got talent that isn't able, isn't capable, isn't qualified enough to essentially fill out these big roles. And India right now in the ODI series is a very big role. I mean, we're talking this is CEO level of cricket. Very difficult. And maybe this is a good thing. But with all lessons, it's what you do after. It's one thing learning the lessons, one thing failing. It's where you pick up the pieces, how you pick up the pieces, how you go forward. JP Dumi was talking about how they're going to go and learn from these things and take it forward from here. Look, it's one thing having an understrength team, but it's another thing about having application. These guys aren't applying themselves because I don't think they know where they're going because they haven't been qualified or clued up on what's, what the challenge is in front of them. And that is a major worry. So I think as a collective, this isn't a Proteus problem. This is an SA cricket problem and needs to be kind of rectified because I think for so long, we've just relied on talents that stay in the international level, like Faf and Ab and, and Hash and obviously Jacques Cullis, Sean Pollock, Graham Smith. All those guys lived at the international level. We never had to worry about them being underqualified. But this next level that comes through, it really is just so inferior. And uh, you, you, you can't build you can't build teams with this kind of stuff. You just simply can't do it. We've got to move on to uh, the Winter Olympics because... Saturday, so it's February the 10th. This is when we'll see the first action. But there's been some, well, I wouldn't say drama just yet, but I know the Winter Olympics are meant to be in the snow, and everyone understands that. It's the cold Olympics. It's that thing. It's very, very different to obviously the summer games, which is all about just being outdoors, track-based, being in these great summer cities. Well, Pyeongchang, it's very cold out there. Maybe a little bit too cold. This Winter Olympics, Pyeongchang could take the gold for cold. <laughs> yes. Freezing air. <laughs> On track to become the most frigid games in decades, temperatures have already plummeted to negative nine degrees Fahrenheit this winter. Punishing wind chills can make it feel even colder. This American flag right there is what heats up. So we'll have Troy Murphy and Team USA will wear special battery heated jackets during Friday's opening ceremony. I've definitely sent a few texts home, like reiterating how cold it's going to be. Inside this stadium, an estimated 35,000 spectators, including world leaders, will spend three hours in the dangerous conditions. To combat hypothermia, volunteers will hand out blankets. Organizers have set up heat lamps and windshields. I've heard that uh, some of foreign guests uh, cancel the ticket as it uh, we are advertised that uh, it will be very cold. The bone-chilling freeze funneled by a blast of cold air from Siberia. The Olympic Park by the coast whipped by ocean winds. And in the mountains, where tens of thousands will gather at seven open-air venues, it can be 10 degrees colder. I think the athletes are pretty well insulated for the hypothermia issue, but for somebody out watching a sport, it can occur as soon as 45 minutes. 
It's so cold out here. We've received emergency alerts on our cell phones, warning of a cold wave. A hundred thousand spectators should arrive here every day. Many of them will stand outside for hours, and this weather isn't helping athletes who are trying to stay healthy. The flu epidemic is also sweeping right through this country. NBC News fans, thanks. Well, how about that, huh? So, when you get these gold medals in Pyeongchang, it's because you worked really hard for it. But it's pretty hectic. Like, they've got to have heated jackets. Like, a lot of people aren't actually going to the opening ceremony. So, the um, Australian skier, for example, she's been given the honor of being the flag bearer. Screw that, she said. I'm going to stay indoors. It's just too cold. I'm not getting sick before this starts happening. And, of course, you know, these people live in a close proximity to each other. So, in the Olympic Village. A little cold here and there. And, uh, bang, there we go. You can miss out four years of training. Done. Just like that. But Saturday is the start of the Winter Olympics as an, as an, as seeing the action. I mean, you can watch the opening ceremony if you want. It's an open air thing. Like I said, it's going to be pretty, uh, pretty sparsely populated, Eric. But, uh, I put something on the bounce of CLO today this morning about snowboarding at the Winter Olympics. There's 10 individual snowboarding events happening this, uh, this time around. So they trialed a few other snowboarding kind of variations and they're all gone in. So, I mean, snowboarding, of course, there's the Winter X Games, where I think a lot of those events have kind of migrated across. So the Olympics have always been quite conservative with events, but obviously to stay relevant with younger audiences and what people are actually into nowadays, they've always got to bring these new events in. So snowboarding, as many as 10 events. But that's always a cool thing to watch. So if you feel that you've got nothing to really look forward to in the Winter Olympics, there are so many great events. There really are. And I'm not just talking about the mixed curling which is going to be so funny. I can just imagine those various memes about domestic disputes. Um, you know, it's just going to be so funny around all these different events because we never get to see them. So now we've got like a man and a woman shouting at what looks like a cooking pot flying across the floor. I mean, it's going to be so fun. I'm really looking forward to it. So from Saturday morning, as I said in previous shows, it is basically, it's GMT plus nine is uh, South Korea. So Pyeongchang on the East Coast of that uh so if you are watching from south africa basically just add seven hours so there'll be seven hours ahead of us and for example uh saturday morning the first event you can see is the cross-country skiing for women they'll be doing seven and a half kilometers i mean these are ultra 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 athletes so that will be uh i think from nine o'clock in the morning so basically you can wake up weekend great watching otherwise just have it on the office in the background so that's kind of going to be your, your, your times. But if you listen to me every single Monday to Friday on the Gareth Cliff show here on cliffcentral.com, I'll keep you updated on all the big happenings. And there's going to be some fun things to watch out here. Just a great background sport, if nothing else. And because you have no real favorites, I guess, you know, you can just pick a favorite as you go along. You know, can be too upset if they wouldn't gold or not. It's just a really cool event to get into. Finally, we've got to talk Champions League next week from Tuesday the 13th of February. Uh, it's going to be Valentine's week. So if you like football, well, maybe that's just your gift and that's enough. If you're sitting by yourself or if you just don't buy into the whole commercial hype crap, whatever it is. Tuesday, 13th of Feb, it's going to be Basel versus Man City. Now, Basel, they are currently second in the Swiss division, the Swiss league. Man City, of course, we know they topped their pool in group stage of the Champions League. They're top of the English League. They are a shit-hot team. They're doing great right now. So basically, look for, obviously, Man City progress there. Also on Tuesday at the same time, Thursday, sorry, Tuesday the 13th of Feb, we've got Juventus, and they'll be hosting Spurs. Now, Spurs down at number five at the moment in the English League. They did top their pool, though. Of course, they beat Real Madrid. Well, they drew, and then they won. So they finished above Real Madrid, which means they've got the top spot in their group, and they take on Juventus, who finished uh, second in their group. 
And they're also currently second in the Serie A, which is their uh, local league. Spurs, this is a great chance for them to go further in the competition. Juventus, you know, obviously, the Buffon, you know, he retired last year. Juventus were in the final last year, and they are a proven side in the Champions League, but, you know, not not at their best right now. Wednesday, 14th of Feb, on Valentine's Day, you'll get to see the big one. That is Real Madrid versus Paris Saint-Germain. Now, Paris Saint-Germain, of course, they spend all that money on Neymar. They spend a lot of money on a whole bunch of different players. So there's so much pressure on these guys to translate all that into big success. They also got Mbappe, that uh, young guy from Monaco. They've got a good side. They've got a good side. They should be winning. But to get Real Madrid is kind of unlucky. So remember last year, they beat uh, Barcelona, I think it was 4-1 in the... in the first leg, or four nil in the the first leg uh, in Paris in the in the last sixteen, and then Barcelona came back to absolutely thrash them. Uh, I think it was six one that result in the end. There could be mistaken. So this could be another repeat because Real Madrid they're not having a good season. Firstly, they finished behind Spurs in the group stages. They're currently lying fourth in La Liga. Barcelona runaway champions there in Spain right now. But this game, the first game, will be played at Real Madrid. So that'll be Wednesday the fourteenth. That'll be a, such a massive match. So Dan, he could be on his way out. Uh, is the Champions League trophy the one thing that can save him? They are defending champions, of course. They are a solid, you know, well-experienced team. They've got Ronaldo, the best footballer in the world, blah, blah, blah. But this year, just it just hasn't clicked for them. It really has. But then again, it's so hard to keep winning. So everyone's going to get winning fatigue eventually. Also, Wednesday, 14th of Feb, we'll see Porto will be taking on Liverpool. So Porto, currently the best team I've seen in Portugal. It's not hard for them to do that. Whereas Liverpool, well, they're up to third in the English Premier League and they did win their group as well. So another good chance for Liverpool to kind of get further in this competition. And of course, they're not going to win the league. They are out of the FA Cup already. So this is also a last ditch. But I mean, if they get to like the semis, it'll be a big deal for them. Anyway, they've got a decent tie against Porto. Really going to expect them to go through. Then for the first leg, continues the week after Tuesday, 20th of February. Bayern Munich, the German champions, uh, they finished second in the pool this time around. So they'll take on the Besiktas, the Besiktas. The Besiktas are from Turkey. They're currently fourth in the Turkish league right now. So maybe not in the best form either, but they're pretty handy in the group stage, just topping that one. But you're going to think Bayern Munich can easily win that one. Then also Tuesday, 20th of Feb, Chelsea, who have dropped down to fourth in the league at the moment. They are behind Liverpool. Uh, Conti's having some issues with the board at Chelsea. Uh, of course, Chelsea have had their woes on field as well. I mean, they just lost to Watford. They got hammered by Watford. They'll be hosting Barcelona, who are, well, they're runaway La Liga uh, leaders at the moment, and they finished top of their pool in the group stages. So you're going to expect Chelsea, well, you know, these guys do come good in the big occasions when it comes to Champions League football, but the Barcelona team right now, mm, not seeing them losing that one. And then finally, the first, the last matches in the first uh, first leg of the, uh, the last 16, Wednesday, 21st of February, we'll see Sevilla. Versus Man United. Uh, Man United topped their group in the early stages and they're currently second in the English Premier League. Sevilla, well, they're currently sitting sixth in the Spanish League right now. These guys, of course, they were the Europa champions for a few years. I think they actually went three in a row in the Champions League. Uh, can't see Man United losing this one. But then again, these guys, they just suddenly hit some pretty average form where they get draws where they shouldn't be getting draws. But still, it's a great opportunity. I mean, the English sides, barring Chelsea, but she got some nice, uh, nice draws in, in this round. And then finally, the Ukrainian side, Shakhtar Donetsk, they are number one in, in the Ukraine. They will be taking you on Roma, who topped their pool in the early stages, but they are currently fifth in the Serie A. So maybe some form there is a bit of an issue. But those are your first leg, uh, matches. Very, very exciting from next Tuesday. So if the league stuff is starting to get a bit boring for you, or your team is just not doing so well, and you want to be a neutral, Champions League's a bloody good, good place to be. Really, really exciting stuff. So that's pretty much it for the sport 
Of course, we've also got Six Nations to worry about. Uh, Six Nations on the rugby side, you know, we, we're kind of expecting quite a lot from Scotland. Maybe not to win this year, but definitely run a few big teams close, if not beat them. Well, they started out against Wales last week, and they got absolutely hammered. But I mean, like, right from the start, Wales got an intercept try, um, and then they just didn't let go after that. They really did hammer them. The final score there was a crushing 34-7 at the Principality Stadium in Wales. So Scotland off to a bad start there. France, well, they had a new coach, but they've been so dreadful the last few years. They really have been. And uh, in true French fashion, they've got some young fly half. I mean, I think if you, it's like a rule in France. If you're going to play fly off, you can never have more than like three consecutive caps, whatever it is. But they were actually pretty good. And it took a last-minute Johnny Sexton drop goal to beat them. So 15-13, Ireland progressed. They got a great victory there in Paris. And as expected, Italy, the whipping boys of the tournament, they lost straight up to England, 15-46 at home. So let's look forward to the fixtures coming up. This will be this weekend, so February the 10th, uh, Saturday the 10th. Ireland will be hosting Italy, so another win there for Ireland. England versus Wales, that's a big one. So that's going to be at Twickenham, the Irish, Irish match, quarter past four, uh, South African time. England versus Wales, they'll be quarter to seven. And then on the Sunday, Scotland will be hosting France. Obviously, Scotland are going to be, well, really kind of hurting from the big loss straight up. But you would expect them in any kind of form to kind of beat this French team. So that's going to be a good match. That's Sunday at 5 o'clock. Then golf-wise, it's the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. This happening this weekend on the USPGA Tour, which is basically, well, it's Pebble Beach, Cypress Points. Um, what's the other one? Anyway, it's a whole Monterey Peninsula in America. And uh, really great golf courses. The golf itself, well, you got the Pro-Am. So it's a four-day competition with the Pro-Ams. You'll get Bill Murray making jokes that aren't funny. Uh, you'll get commentators basically talking about CEOs who you know are rich, therefore they try and make them important. So it's not the best event on the USPGA Tour. Jordan Spieth is the defending champion there. And uh, it's on the far west side, of course, uh, in California. So it'll be very difficult to watch that one from European time. But South African golf, there is the PGA Champs, South Africa's PGA Champs. Eric Van Roy is the defending champion, and that will take place in Ive Africa, which is the south of Johannesburg. That kicks off today. Well, it's currently going, actually. And uh, on the European tour, well, it's the ISPS Handa Sixes. It's a very, very interesting event. There's, of course, they have uh, six holes sort of matches. And uh, there was a thrilling, I think, four-way playoff. They went down to two. I mean, there's so much happening in this golf tournament that even the players themselves aren't entirely sure where to go and where to be. So, I mean, I'm not making this up. It's in Perth. You'll see kangaroos. You'll see snakes. And you'll see great golf. It's a very, very interesting tournament. It's just, that's all I can say. I'm not going to get into more of the format. But that'll be on the European tour. And that's obviously in the far side. So you've got golf in Australia. You've got golf in South Africa golf in america basically all the time zones are covered it's going to be a big weekend of sports and uh, yeah hopes and prayers uh thoughts and prayers for the proteas that will be saturday for the daytime match there can't see them winning that one look put it this way ab de villiers has to score 150 on saturday if he doesn't do that the proteas aren't going to win but anyway it's for breast cancer awareness it's for curing obviously this dreadful disease so get on down if you obviously is a sellout. If you are going, we'll have a great time. Otherwise, there are many initiatives around the whole pink drive. And this game isn't just um, some sort of sideshow. It really is for a fantastic cause. So get involved as you see fit. And that pretty much is it for this week on The Bounce Show. Catch me back on The Gareth Cliff Show, Monday to Friday, 6.30ish, uh, every single day if you want to listen to the live bro- uh, b- b- bulletins. 
Otherwise, catch the podcast. And uh, yeah, first week of the vlog is up on YouTube. So if you didn't catch it on Monday, that uh, is follow the bounce on YouTube. My first edition of the vlog is there. The second edition will have some more behind the scenes range time with Joe Miller uh, out of Cop Belief that I filmed on Monday. And uh, yeah, a whole bunch of other stuff from the week of sports. Otherwise, catch all the other stuff that I'm putting out there. Thebounce.co.za or you can chat to me on Twitter at follow the bounce. Always keen, especially right now for some cricket banter. It's always really good fun. That's it for this week. I have spoke myself hoarse. I think that's the term. Uh, anyway, it is now. Catch you back next week. This is CliffCentral.com.